Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Today, we're just going to freestyle a little bit, just talk about random thoughts and uh, give our takes on hot topics in the MMA world. So, Alex, what do you want to start with, dude? I want to start with, you just got back from your honeymoon. What was that like, man? St. Thomas, right? That's true. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty pretty damn cool. Uh, <laughs> it, it was over in St. Thomas. We actually went over to St. John's, so a good amount as well. Um, and it was fun. We yeah. stayed at, there's two all-inclusives on St. Thomas. We stayed at one of them, so your boy was drinking. <laughs> that was fun. Um, and then it had a bunch of like water sports equipment and stuff. Then we went over to St. John's because a little tidbit of facts for the uh, listeners out there that St. John's Island is about 75% uh, national park. So there's almost no housing or anything like that on about 75% of the island, while 25% is residential and commercial. So it's cool because all of these beaches are beautiful, white sand, all the corals protected, um, everything, everything actually about the beaches were super cool. So I, while well, I loved St. Thomas on the Island, that was great. And the resort was great. God, St. John's is such a beautiful, like a beautiful spot. Definitely going to go back. Nice. Yeah. Did you enjoy some relaxation and some away time from the busy clinic and the hustle of everyday day-to-day life? Yeah, honestly. Yes. It, it took me a little bit to turn off. Probably took me two days there to turn off completely. Um, and then had about two and a half really good relaxation days. And then I started itching again. And I got, cause I got a couple texts from fighters mm-hmm. that, that they were like, Hey, they forgot I was on my honeymoon. Like, Hey, when are we working and stuff like that? And then I started like getting itching. I'm like, Oh shit, I got to get back to work now. Let's go. You might be the world's worst vacationer. I'm a terrible vacationer. Uh, all I want to do is I, I'm thinking about God, I, I, I could really do this at my clinic the next day or shit. I could change that about that person's program, but I made a promise to Lisa that I wouldn't do work and I didn't do work. Good for you. man. I think that's important to step away and to, I don't know, reassess. I always use those times or times like that when I'm not coaching to kind of reassess where I'm at both in my skill, but also in my, like my current understanding of my skill set too. So you get to kind of reassess yourself, get to take a step back and actually see like, What principles am I actually using to like program or to coach? Because like so much of this stuff, like you get going and you're on the fly and then it's all just automatic, right? You're not thinking like what research article, what this, what approach that you're just going. So Mm -hmm. I think that's important to step back, give yourself a, a breath. It's funny you say that because like, of course my dumbass, I, I, my reading material I brought was Nick Winkleman's book, uh, language of coaching, um, because I can't really get away. And I was, I was reading through it and exactly what you said, like I took a step back. I wanted to reread a book and it was, a, it's a book that I actually enjoy. Like it is pleasure and reading, pleasuring, pleasurable reading for me, but it made me step back, take a look at what I was actually doing. And then like kind of reassess some of the shit I was saying to people too. Like I just went back and thought about the last month of coaching. I'm like, what could I have done better? And I'm thinking like, Oh, I, I actually used a lot of internal cues last month. If I, if I think about it, like how can I fix that? And I like actually started thinking about different metaphors or different anecdotes or um, um, anything that could relate to different athletes for them. And I have a little list that I have in my head now for the next time I get, I'm working with that athlete. So that was cool. Yeah. yeah. The biggest thing I always go back to, I think you bring up queuing. The biggest thing I always go back to, I think is like exercise testing. I always get in these grooves of like making general progress within the program itself, 
but then I'm not actually like tracking any uh, objective measures. Like, like I have my initial assessments and things, but then all of a sudden it's like eight weeks and I haven't done any like retesting of the same exact protocol. Right. I'm like, all right, we put 30 pounds on the trap bar. We were moving with such more quality, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, we haven't had an actual testing day in however long. Right. So that's where I always catch myself. I was like, God, I got to reassess where we're at both testing wise and see, are we actually making progress on things um, versus the like qualitative stuff that I see in session? Yeah, no. And, and I actually do, that happens to me a lot too, where I like, I do all my whole tests, I do my movement screens and everything. And then they start to get better and better and better. And it comes to, Hey, we were doing like a max out on inertia wave. And I look back at the first test and I'm like, Oh fuck, that was four months ago. I haven't yeah, even right. tried, I haven't even tried to test it again. Cause we went through a whole, cause for me, I don't like to do exercise testing in fight camp. I want to get it out of the way just cause I don't want to waste those days. Right. Mm-hmm. It turns into a wasted day. So I want to get them out of the way before camp and then typically do it after. So it's common for, for me to do a, to get two tests in, in three months. But like, typically when I'm looking at athletes, sometimes when I say like, I weigh a little bit, I'm like, Oh shit, this was a, about a half a year ago. I haven't, mm-hmm. re- <laughs> I haven't rechecked your three rep max on your trap bar deadlift. Fuck. I, we need to do that next week. Yeah. And I mean, I think two thoughts on that i think you can layer them in so that they're not quote unquote totally wasted days like you know on your trap bar day anyway maybe you're going for power but you can still warm up to a like three rm or something like that yeah. or warm up to a, a daily max um but then also i think exercise testing in fight camp too depending on how close you are to camp and the individual fighter too but like it messes with their heads man yes. i mean like and that's the the typical like kind of argument and the typical thought around that but like i don't know i think we can frame that out of camp if we frame it out of camp better then it won't have that much grounds to you know fuck up their mental in camp so it's a right. worth a thought of like reframing how you present the exercise test well and uh, this is gonna sound like their shade being thrown, but I'm not intending it in any way, shape or form. But most of the people that I see are testing pre and like at the beginning of camp and then midway through camp. And at the end of camp, they're doing it for an Instagram post. (laughs) The gyms that I see that do that, they they typically are doing it because it looks really, really good. And there's the pic, there's also a picture of the guy flexing or something like that. For sure. And I mean, it deter, it just, it, depends on what you're in training camp for too. Like if I, I'm thinking about max strength testing, if I'm doing max strength test testing. I would hope that the pre-camp number is the highest. Number, yes. You know, which God, is, I is hope like so. Seemingly like you got worse during camp or whatever, but like, no, that, that actually represents an accurate picture of training because we're peaking for a fight. We're not peaking for trap or deadlift. Right. So we're, we're going to get more in shape. We're going to um, maybe improve on some cardiovascular numbers or lactic threshold or, or whatever specific targets you have that camp, but you're not going to necessarily improve on things that you're testing out of. Right. And I fall into that a lot where another thing that I, cause tests are supposed to kind of suck, right? Like te- there's especially conditioning mm-hmm. tests. So I fall into this trap with my conditioning tests. I'm like, Oh, do I really want to put this person through another 15 minute max calories? on the air bike again. Like I just did this three months ago. Do I really have to do it again? Just I, to save my athlete. Cause I'm like, well, I'm doing it for metrics and it's extremely important, but fuck that's going to suck. You can, and if they're not prepared it for them, it, if you do it yourself, I, I've been there, I've done the test. I've done all the tests that I How use many times. Um, probably once six months ago. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, some of them were used on me too. So those are easy. But the conditioning tests, I've done them once six months ago and they fucking sucked. 
yeah. that's why I'm so hesitant to use them because they fucking suck. <laughs> Do we? Yeah, I'm actually still kind of soaked on a test that we kind of developed, as far as like a lactate power test with the sled. Mm-hmm. I think I described this in a couple of different uh, or a couple of podcasts ago, but essentially you have a you have like I think we did like 30 percent of your body weight on the sled, yeah. and then um, we started doing it for time. Um, and we did one minute and it's how many yards can you cover? And you go 15 yards down and back. Um, and then I think what we're going to end up doing is we're going to have, you're going to have like, I think it's so four down and backs, which would be 120 yards. Yes. And we're going to do that for time or see how fast yeah. you can complete that. Um, so, so doing like lactic power and lactic capacity. Yeah. Maybe not. I mean, for people that are bad lactic capacity for people that are good at lactic stuff, then lactic power, um, I'll see where you die off. Um, and then if you die off too. So, but we developed that test and me and uh, a fellow coach who we'll have on the podcast eventually, um, Augie at Landau, we put ourselves through that uh, maybe about two weeks ago. It is rough, man. You get on like the third or fourth down and back and you are, your legs are shot. Like you get that like iron scratchy throat for breathing so hard and like the blood in your throat. It's, it's rough. Blood in your throat's weird. I don't know what you what never, you're talking. You never had that where you like breathe so hard that your throat feels like scratchy and you get the like, taste of iron and blood. No, you never worked. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> Speaking of doing things that we worked on, I just started up the building a fighter. I think I texted you this right. Mm-hmm. I started up the building a fighter uh, phase one again. Just pe- kind of like a reset, exactly. Using as a reset. Let's go back to the building blocks. Fuck, I'm gonna be sore tomorrow. Dude, there was a lot of volume on that. So yes, you're gonna be sore, but I always feel like every time I think like I need to start a new program and do it consistently, I feel like every time I'm like, but I gotta go back to square one. I gotta <laughs> rebuild my goblet squat so that I, I know. can back squat, you know? <laughs> and it's like I always have to I always restart at square one when I never really end up getting to either my advanced training methodologies or or I say fuck it and I just do whatever I want to in the workout yeah. anyway and kind of wing it on myself. So it's uh, I don't know. I feel like programming for yourself is sometimes the hardest programming, right? It's the worst. That's why I'm doing this because you wrote most of it. <laughs> there you go. Well, now you gotta put you gotta put a, a program up on True Coach that I'll do. Oh, there's a few in there that you're gonna hate. Oh well. I just gotta transfer them from Excel. That's the big thing right now. So I gotta transfer all the ones I had. Like I have every fighter's program for every. I, I've, I think I have at least sixty different programs of just fighters. Yeah. And I just haven't put them in true coach. <laughs> Dude, Excel is such a good tool for strength and conditioning coaches, especially if you, if you have a good template and you know how to work. I think there's a really good resource out there. Um, it's like Excel for strength coaches or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a textbook and it just explains a lot of things, how you can do like, how you can use a V lookup, how you can um, do uh, conditional shading in cells, how you can, uh, I mean, insert your math formulas and everything like this. So you can auto-populate like, numbers for your athletes like and all that shit gets really in depth and i i used it for a good two or three years a good time period but uh, the more and more like adapted your workouts get so working with fighters right you're gonna have to make a pivot almost every workout the harder it is to justify using stuff like that right because it's such a rigid type of program they're like yes this is ideal but if i'm going to end up switching three exercises and four different loads Mm -hmm. then it's like i just typed all this in excel and spent you know 30 minutes creating this like perfect program that isn't perfect. <laughs> I know, but I will say that X, I love Excel for the beginner strength coach. 
I think that's the best way to learn how to build the programs. It, you should have to learn how to do all those different programs and all those different um, like computations anyways, because if you're going to do, sorry, I got a cough. <coughs> uh, if, if you do like your own taxes, you got to know how to do different computations. If you're going to do, if you're going to like have a business one day, which most strength coaches end up owning a business at some point, that's a pretty high stat. Well, you got to know how to do the spreadsheets and do the different payroll things. Actually, did you take, did you have to take information systems at UW lacrosse? Remember that class? I think I took it. Intro to information systems down in the dungeon computer lab. I think I did. And we just went through all of like the online programs, Microsoft Dude, Excel. Publishing. I love, I, I like actually use my notes from my, that class to sure. do. I did. I use the notes to create my payroll for warrior sports wellness. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, this is how you do these different things. This is awesome. Like, yeah, oh, college actually worked. Ah, well, pay an account. Dude, speaking of, I, I drop this all the time. You want to know what I think one of the most useful classes I took at UWL was? It's a class book. we both took. Comic yep. book literature. Comic book literature. I yeah. use that class. So I, I've obviously taken English classes since from five years old until I think 22. No, 21 is when I left UWL. That's when I took it. That was the most useful English class I've ever taken. I learned more about literary elements. I learned more Dude. about story element, like story impact, like uh, storyboarding. I learned actually like useful skills on how I make my own like posts for Instagram and shit from that class than any other class I've ever taken. Dude, it, it was weird too. Cause like, I mean, it's all these gen, uh, gen ed classes or credits that you need to get, but like, I know we both signed up like comic book literature. That's way more interesting than like classic American or English or French no, literature or whatever. I so most like, definitely saw a blow off class. Exactly. I, like I, comic book literature read in my head blow off. Right. So, but like, again, shout out to the teacher. I think it was Dr. Friesen. Yeah. Ryan um, Friesen. He did such a good job of like through his medium, still communicating effective message. Like, yep. again, I know it's comic books and we, I kind of, we kind of nerd out about comic books. We like them, but some of the like critical analysis of media and like uh, consumption and, and, what authors put into their storytelling, like, like a lot of those things, like I wish I had learned that, you know, as a junior in high school or something like that take on, you know, such a medium as a comic book applies everywhere else. Like you can put that type of uh, lens on when you're reading a research paper, you can take that type of lens on when you're reading um, a textbook or when you're reading an Instagram post, like what is this person's lens coming from? What are they trying to communicate and how are they, um, mo- more subvertly trying to get their message across. Like um, that's almost something that like led me into a, like a sociological frame of mind before I even knew I was going to my master's of sociology. But uh, it's interesting because so many narratives uh, are at play and construct validation and reasoning behind any institution at all. Like, I know I, I use this example all the time, like strength and conditioning protocols originated from lists of exercise that came on exercise equipment Mm -hmm. like let's make this product get people to buy this product and then once they get this product we're gonna give them a list of exercises to do off this product all right you know you bought your leg extension machine you can do four by ten leg extensions you can flip it over do a leg curl four by ten you can um use it for bicep curls you can do whatever else it's like okay that's a workout program all right let's do that you know and that's where standard conditioning like originated as a like a cultural phenom so it's again the sociological narrative and the critical consumption of whatever you have is i think one of the most 
valuable things about that comic book literature class that I took and now I'm in love with comic books. So yeah. Good job. No, and it was a good job. And it actually taught me a lot about marketing as well. Yeah. Like that was I used that. Honestly, that class paired with uh, Donald Miller's building a story brand, those two put together, that's my entire marketing campaign. And it, it does pretty well. And it just helps me understand not just my own marketing and my own messages and like how to get my message across, if you will. That's probably what I learned the most is how to efficiently get my message across. Um, because in a comic book, you only get nine tiles. You got to sell a whole story in nine, t- nine tiles. I remember he always said that all the time. Right. And I'm like, that, that makes, it's a good point. Good fucking point, man. Yeah, but get creative with it. Man. Yeah, but I also get other people's marketing too. I can. I it's helped me have a skeptical eye because I can pick up on bullshit faster because of that class. Yeah, or you see like true motivations. Like um, I think it was like Watchmen was one of the, the books that we read. Like one of my favorite like graphic novels, comic books. But like you know, I, I read it through once. Uh, before the class even started just because i was kind of nerding out on it and like I, I i enjoyed the story i saw it but then like we go into class and we read through it and he's like there's this storyline happening and this mm-hmm. um like under the current theme and like this um subconscious messaging going on and, and he's like yeah i've read it probably 12 times and i still don't get everything that's going on <laughs> and i was like oh well uh, okay yeah Dude, that's how I felt. The same thing with when we went through Akira. Yeah. That was that. Oh, that was such a good book and such a great movie. But like when he's talking about it and he, the way he had such a way with words talking about these different things, which well, is, and I, I think he's that, passionate like, about what he does too. hundred percent. Yeah. This is like comic books were his building a fire, right? Like that, that was his jam that yeah. he, Hold on, I just, I just looked him out. up. Isn't his, so he has his he has a PhD from the University of Leeds in fantasy novels and early yes. modern literature. That's fucking cool. That's, like again, you, you see it on the outside, and you're like nerd, but like I don't know, I would love to be an author. I think it's like hey, nerds around the world, bro. Dude, yeah, that's actually one of my biggest life goals is I want to write a book. You gonna be a nerd, please. Uh, but no, I'm. I'm re-listening to The Alchemist. I do probably once a year. I know that's yeah. your favorite book, Austin. But it is. It is. Um, but I'm re-listening to it. And that's like the biggest inspiration for me to write my own book. Like I, I love fiction and fantasy and, and narration and everything like that. So I want to write a book that has as many morals and, and themes and like packs a punch, kind of like Alchemist does. So you want it to be the the new game of thrones. Mm, well, mm, <laughs> minus ten thousand pages. Fair. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> <laughs> which still leaves me like 10,000 patients. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you've always wanted to do that, right? You've always had a story, like even yeah. your tattoos on your side. Um, and they, they were the original characters that you drew, correct? Right. Yeah. So I created like a fictional universe and I've been trying to write and I, I, dude, the universe is conspiring against me, man. I've lost it online twice. Fuck. I got the first time I was probably five, six pages in. So not that much, but I had like my whole framework laid out a bunch of notes and my, all of my undergrad like hard drive got erased. Uh, and then this most recent time I was like 20, 25 pages in, uh, right. Oh, Jesus. Just this, this fictional book or whatever. And my laptop got stolen. So it's like, wow. just like kicking the balls twice, but, but yeah, man, I really want to write a book and like, who knows? It might have something to do with exercise science and strength conditioning or like coaching. I'm sure those are going to be huge themes in the book as they're huge themes in my life, but I don't know that it's going to be like specifically geared towards continuing education. Well, you're allowed to have layers, bro. Let's have layers. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the main character's job is a strength and conditioning coach <laughs> and his name is Friedman Alex. Stop. 
you're and just, he, you're embarrassing yourself now. And he turns into a super spy. See what I did Michael there? At a, at a, <laughs> Michael Scar. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Who's DeWicked? <laughs> Wayne Gretzky quotes Michael Scott. <laughs> oh, man. That was another college pastime. We watched The Office so much. Oh, dude. I actually, talking about fucking Game of Thrones, do you remember when I went on that binge? I watched all of Game of Thrones up until I think there were four seasons, no, four seasons deep or five seasons deep. I watched all the first four seasons in a week in, in nine days. Yeah. college it was j term i don't give no fucks <laughs> i was uh i was taking a heart yeah you would just cave when we weren't rest weren't at wrestling practice austin was caving in his room watching game of thrones fuck yeah or the office or parks and rec yeah. or entourage which yeah, you did a lot of entourage of, dude i fucking love entourage it's such a good show i know you never got into it but you no. definitely should you tried so hard for a long time but <laughs> But yeah, man. So I don't know. What would you write a book on if you were going to write a book? Um, be an autobiography. Shocker. <laughs> Fucking shocker. <laughs> oh, man. And I got a lot I, of shit I want to get done. Then I want to tell people I would, about I would it. love to read that autobiography because I'm sure the last <laughs> half of the book is just your projections in the future on how great you are. <laughs> That would be hysterical. Yeah, oh. this is what I've done till 26, but and then about 50 here's pages the next 75. Here, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> 2089. Oh. I'm the king of the world. It's like That'd idiocracy be... and you're the president. That would be fucking hysterical. Yeah. Oh. No, honestly, if I were to write a book, um, I have actually thought about it. I would probably do something um, continuing education related just because and probably base it around performance care or like using a neurocentric approach first, something like that. And it would just be continuing education book. And then there'd be a course system around it just because it's something that I do so frequently and so many people overlook. Yeah. And I think I have enough thoughts out there, kind of like how Michael Shacklock did with neurodynamics. Yeah. I, have, I have enough ideas and especially over the next 10 to 15 years of my life um, that I could help people. Yeah. If I think, if I think technically for a second, I think uh, if I was going to write a book, there's so many good books out there that outline systems and approaches of strength training. Like, you know, yeah. like the triphasic, like your tier system. Uh, there's so many like that. The, the system quote unquote is yeah. a big NFL book, but there's not, a, I, I haven't come across them. I'm sure there is one, but a good book on how to create that system, right. To create it for right. yourself, like use your own skill sets and your own strengths and weaknesses to create, you know, the Alex Friedman system, which, you know, I'm currently building on every day, trying to nail down, you know, what is my base approach? What are the principles on my coaching? Like, again, to know them and enact them is a different thing than to write them down. So I don't want to write, here's your Alex Friedman system of coaching, right? I want to write like, here's how you develop your own system and style of coaching. Right. Uh, no, like essentially you're trying to give the, the people a fishing pole, not just a fish. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Cause you know, how, how many, you know, zealous are there? Like I read this book and this is how you do strength and conditioning and it gets everybody results and it's the best thing. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. how many people like that are out there, but like, let's give people some context and, you know, more exposure because again, not only like I've read this book and this is a system, but like I've interned here and this is the system that I know. Yeah. So this yeah. is the system that I'm always going to use. And it gets the best results. Like there's no, nothing wrong with using your skill set, using your experiences, but like broaden your horizons too, uh, which was, I mean, a huge benefit of my education uh, minus a lot of free internships, but 
<laughs> shade, but, shade, shade. Oh, yeah, God. But like it did give me an advantage as far as like knowing how four to five different collegiate professional facilities up, you know. Mm-hmm. So I have all of that to pull on and combine and, you know, uh, collaborate, which I think is another, uh, if I'm going on a tangent here, is another benefit of me coaching at Landau now because movement as far as like sprinting and shuffling and biomechanic approach to coaching that was probably my weakest point as a coach, right? I, I've mm-hmm. never really been to a gym where we taught straight up sprinting, like, you know, track and field type running. Uh, and Landau is like one of the most world renowned places for the NFL combine, right? Yep. Which you're preparing people for the 40 meter dash. So or 40 yard dash. Well, um, that shows how with it <laughs> I am in NFL combine, but uh, that teaches people how to run, how to move. And Lauren's got one of the best systems for that out there. So um, another reason I'm, I'm fortunate to be there. Yeah, no. And uh, like you said, it's world renowned. And, but the one thing that I see a lot in the healthcare setting is exactly what you're talking about. They, they find one group of people. It's not even about what's, it's not even about what's best for the patient. It's about what's best for their treatment style. If you will, like you see a, you see it in the chiropractic world, a bunch where it's somebody just wants to adjust because they only want, they're, they're not good at talking to somebody for more than five minutes. So they're just going to adjust them. They're like, Oh, that's a good patient. That's a good patient visit for me. It's not about actually doing what's best for the person in front of them. So they, they get in these different factions and they don't expand their horizons. They don't broaden their scopes. Like you're talking about, they're not open to new information. And then they find this niche where they might not necessarily be helping people anymore. And not that you should, you have to help everybody, right? But your goal as a healthcare provider is to try to help as many people as possible. And if you go to just one, this one little niche, are you actually helping as many people as possible? Yeah. Uh, Or or are you, excuse me, are you setting yourself up to help as many people as possible? Are you setting yourself up to be comfortable in your profession or in your niche, right? Because, I mean, that's the other I think cross everybody has to bear is like we have a certain workload that we can manage as professionals and I know Austin doesn't believe um, boundaries and everything, but like no, I believe in boundaries. I'm bad at them. <laughs> oh well that's progress from the last we <laughs> talked then. Um, but like there is a certain bandwidth that I can manage and then when I try, if like I take every patient and I deep dive on error, I just say patient and not patients. If I take every athlete that I train and I do a deep dive on them, like it's just going to overload myself. You know, I can't coach enough people to make a living with a huge deep dive into every single problem. And, and that's where your experience as a professional kicks in. But uh, one thing I wanted to get off my chest too, is like people need to learn the difference between a strength coach and a physical therapist or a healthcare provider. Don't reach out to me and tell me that you broke your wrist and what rehab exercises you should do. Or like my knee popped at grappling. What rehab should I do? It's like, I don't know. It was like, can we, can I still come in and train? It's like, yeah, we're going to do everything except things surrounding your knee because you know it popped yesterday at practice so i'm not gonna touch that like it's an interesting what's your i guess position what's your approach on like um separation of a scope no i got you as somebody that does both it's it's one of those things that you got to be able to play both sides right and the one thing that i i think the reason why people do that is because for in a typical situation, you guys are the fun people and they have a certain connotation about rehab or physical therapy or or like uh, chiropractors, whatever. And they're like, Oh, I don't want to go see those people. I want to go lift more weights and shit like that. So they trust you. They want to talk to you because they know that you you're the fun guy. Oh yeah. There's definitely that that goes on. It's like, I don't want him to sit me out or I don't want him to take me out of practice before a fight, you know, talk to the strength coach who always wants to solve my problems, always wants me to keep me out of pain, but 
you know, but there is a, a division. No, I'm yeah. And that's, that's where I'm going with it. It's like, I, I have an idea that I do think strength and conditioning coaches are part of the rehab pendulum. Sure. Right. Yeah. But there is a separation and I think there's a right time for each role. So <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, sorry guys. I had a Noki and it's been stuck in my throat this whole podcast. Um, I was so, there. I just slapped. Yeah. I've been drinking water too. Um, but so typically when, where physical therapists are really good are from, say it's a post-op case from 0% to 65%. And that's not just PTs, it's chiros, athletic trainers, what have you. We'll call them PTs just for the sake of this argument. And then the strength coach kind of picks up from there all the way through, or they actually, for the most part, pick up around 80% all the way up. So there's a disparity where the PT is getting them to 40% to 50%. And the strength coach is working from 80%. And there's that gap in the middle that people don't understand. That's the gap in the middle where a really good strength coach or a really good physical therapist fill. That gap in the middle is where I think strength coaches really come into the fold um, in this rehab paradigm. Think about like an Eric Cressy. That dude talks at sports medicine talks. He's he's a strength coach. It's people like him, people like Mike Boyle. Honestly, the giants of the industry are the people that fill that gap. And that's where you can make a living and that's where you can help the most people. It's because your knowledge is a benefit to everybody in that situation. And I think partially too, strength coaches do a poor job and like myself included hundred percent is like outlining why and when we're doing like this quote unquote, like prehab or rehabilitation exercise. Right. Because like you said, like, I think good strength coaches incorporate a lot of movement and a lot of healthy, um, healthy uh, addressing of good ranges of motion and problem areas and injury, but we're not, quote unquote, like fixing your diagnosing. Well, I think, I think the word you said at the beginning of that was, was extremely important. There's this thing that has come about called prehab and we're like, it's the prehab of everything, the prehab of everything. If we call it prehab, if, if I'm a 15 year old, you're the one giving me prehab. I would assume you also can do rehab. It is one letter off. (laughs) So, and I feel like that's a lot of the times that could also be the thing where you've become the authority on movement. Mm-hmm. which that's what really good strength coaches are really good strength coach. Isn't just numbers in a fucking spreadsheet. And then, Hey, here's another person. Yeah. So you guys got so good at that and started calling it prehab, which in all reality it is. But I think if we use a different name, you guys would get a lot less of the healthcare question. It could be, yeah. Just use a mobility, stability, exercise or whatever yeah. category exactly. or whatever it is. So exactly. I like that. Yeah. I like that approach, but no, and I'm totally on board with, like you said, this kind of rehab, pendulum or paradigm that you see and i agree but i just think there there's got to be a communication with the athlete and a a mutual understanding of like hey like i know this shit hurts right now but like i can't diagnose it i can't yeah but i can do maybe one or two things to help you get out of pain like prescribe some exercises but for the most part like i can't be hands-on right but that also comes in having an interdisciplinary team not just based around we always talk about that with fight camps, having a team based around them, but having a actual team based around your gym, having yeah. somebody to refer to that you trust that takes that a lot off your plate where you can literally just say, Hey, cause right now, if you don't trust somebody in that area, you're going to be the one that's probably going to give them a couple pointers. Right. Yeah. But if you know something, somebody right up the road that works with all your other people at the gym and they're able to diagnose effectively and be extremely efficient, you're going to send them immediately to them. You're not even going to try to give them one or two things. You're like, oh no, this guy knows what the fuck he's talking about. Go to him. Right. That's a 
it's a good point for the end of the discipline. So we're back. We're back to the building fighter approach where we create a kick-ass interdisciplinary team and we have our four pillars of healthcare, strength, conditioning, nutrition, and uh, skill. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We're back and we're putting together our courses. And with the courses, we're going to be talking about all of these different things. So talking about the interdisciplinary approach and talking about how we can best help combat sports and everybody that is involved in supporting that athlete. Dude, you're so, going to have to up your presentation game because my PowerPoint's going to be sick. No, mine's going to be fucking awesome, dude. It's just going to be boring. I got memes and all types of shit. You think I'm not a memer? I think I'm I think a professional you, I memer. Think you're a, I think you're a put the research, a picture of the research paper on the slide. A hundred percent. My first 10 <laughs> slides are that. Yep. My first 10 slides are that the, right there. Literally the worst. That's how you get CEs boys. That is how you get CEUs. No, I'll put them all in there. No. Cause you have to talk about it. It can't just be referenced. You have to talk about the references. That's how you get CEUs in healthcare. I I'm a strength coach. <laughs> <laughs> Let's further the stereotype. Oh, but I'm pumped. It's going to be, it's, I think it's going to be extremely, extremely well done um, based off what I'm seeing from mine. And then what you keep talking about yours. I'm excited to get it out into the world, help some people. Yeah, so it'll be a good paradigm to have just like an MMA resource, like a real life um, MMA talk about how do we apply this versus like, and I know this education exists out there, but it's always like the one-offs, right? It's like, mm-hmm. this guy's going to present on metabolic conditioning for MMA and yes. you know, it's going to be that, but it's like, we don't have a whole, uh, company or a whole organization where the aim is progressing the MMA field around performance and preparation. Like, yeah. And it was literally like the PI book is the most recent one. And then like ultimate MMA conditioning. Right. Lauren Lano's put a couple of books out, but like, and the UCPI guys, like they do as much media and talk as they can and uh, continue education. But like, it's not, I, I feel as though there's a gap where that's not the sole focus of anybody. Right. Yeah. Well, it is ours. It's ours now. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I think that's the podcast here, folks. If you uh, liked what we were talking about, disliked what we were talking about, just got to get in contact with us. All of our information is in the show notes. Please do us a favor and please like, share, subscribe, do all the cool stuff that allows us to become friends with your friends. And as always, this is Dr. Austin Shane, Alex Freeman, and we are out. Yeah.